0: sermon text that can be found on the inside of the bulletin, and it's a long one, Luke 21, 5-36, Luke 21, 5-36, and while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, "'The days will come when there will not be left here "'one stone upon another that will not be thrown down.' "'And they asked him, "'Teacher, when will these things be, "'and what will be the sign "'when these things are about to take place?' "'And he said, "'See that you are not led astray. "'For many will come in my name, saying, "'I am he, and the time is at hand. "'Do not go after them. "'And when you hear of wars and tumults, "'do not be terrified, "'for these things must first take place.' They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is to coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So, when also you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been asked the question, what is the most valuable thing you own? If there was a fire at your house and you had to rush in and you only had time to grab one thing, what would it be? I thought about that question. Obviously, my children... And wife, no, we're talking about inanimate objects here. And I thought of two things. I thought of, one is my oldest son's journals. Uh, Some of you have had opportunity to read. They're very dear and priceless uh, to us. Uh, The second, if I'm not wearing it, is my father's watch. Uh, My father passed away this past year. And whenever I look at this watch, I think of him. Uh, They are uh, precious to me. I would run in and grab those things. And then maybe my pet's. Lord, forgive me for saying that. For some of you, it's, uh, you know, there are things, uh, if we expand that scope, what would happen if the home, some of you live in the home that you've lived in all of your life, if that was to burn down? What a uh, pain that would be. I've had friends who have lost everything as they've seen their all their memories and things dear to them go up in smoke. Or if uh, if you've been at a particular church, I know people who will come in who have been their whole life at this church, to see it go up in flames, down to the foundations. Uh, What pain that would cause us. What if we even expanded the scope and asked the question, what about this wonderful nation that we have, the United States of America, that has been unshaken, if you will, uh, unshakable so far, and yet we feel the tremors. But there are other people in other countries that have seen their countries overrun and absorbed. Uh, Taken down to the foundations. That's what I want to draw out as we're looking at this particular text. Because really that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to these disciples. And he's using this picture of the temple. Because to the Jews, the temple, to the disciples, the temple is Israel. It's always been there. Its foundation is strong. And Jesus is saying, you see this temple... You see your identity, your national identity. The day is coming when it's gone. The day is coming when it's raised to the ground. What do you do when what you've built your life on comes crashing down around you? You see, the reality is everybody has a foundation. And every foundation can fall except for one the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus Christ is trying to tell the disciples and that's what I'm trying to tell you. That a new foundation has been built with the coming of Jesus Christ. He's given us a new foundation to stand on that will not be shaken. A new life to build upon this foundation. But the only way that we can know that the new foundation can stand is when the old foundation is taken away. You see, we can only know that Jesus Christ is our sure foundation if we have to stand on him. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, you're going to have to stand on me alone. And I am telling you as well that there's only one sure foundation and we might as well get used to standing on it because everything else will eventually fall away. Well, let me unpack this in the next four hours as we look at this scripture in Hebrew and Greek. Verse five, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, I tell you the truth. Look at all of these stones. The days will come, disciples, when there will not be left one stone on another. Now you have to realize they're right outside of the temple. Jesus has been teaching in the temple and as they're leaving the temple and they look at it, indeed in one of the parallel gospel passages, one of the disciples is looking at it and he can't help but explain Oh, teacher, look at the massive stones and the magnificent buildings. This temple was uh, beautiful and monstrous in its size. If you know anything about the temple, uh, it took uh, uh, centuries to put back together and Herod took it to the next level. There were stones that were comprising the temple that weighed over 500 tons. So imagine a stone that literally was the entire size of this area. And they had brought these stones together. And through, a, uh, through the temple renovation, there was over 1.5 million square feet of area that a million people could literally be in the temple at one time. If you were to stand outside the temple and look up, it was 20 stories high. It was the miracle of the ancient world. And yet they said that the stones, as they put them together that even though there was no mortar, they were so tightly put together that you could not even put a piece of paper between them. It said when you looked, if you were on the temple plaza area, which was six football fields wide, and you were to look at the, at the, uh, the holy temple, um, that if the sun was shining, you could not look at it because it would blind you because of the gold and the shining white marble and the, bl- and the bronze doors, it was magnificent. It was literally the foundation of what it meant to be a Jew. But it was also the spiritual foundation for these people because it wasn't simply an edifice, a building like in Rome or something like that. No, it was the place where God said he would dwell with his people. I will put my name there. And you can meet with me. It was a place where they could offer sacrifice and cleanse their conscience and be made right with God. It was their national identity. It was their spiritual identity. And so they could not help but praise it. But Jesus makes this astounding statement. Do you see these 500 ton stones? I am telling you there is a time when they will all be raised to the ground. The disciples are alarmed. Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? You see, to the Jews, to the disciples, to contemporary Jewish thought, the destruction of the temple meant the end of the world. How could such a beautiful thing be destroyed? They didn't realize that it wasn't the end of the world, did they? Because we know through history in the year 70 A.D., After a four-year siege, the Romans would come and they would destroy the temple and kill the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They would wipe it to the ground, never to be rebuilt, by the way. They didn't know that it was coming. And so Jesus responds to their question. See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them, When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and pestilence and famines and terrors and signs. See, Jesus knows what's going to happen. In fact, Jesus is going to die in two days. And he wants to prepare the disciples so they will be ready when it happens. Indeed, Jesus says later, all of these things are going to happen in this generation. I don't think that we, but when you look at this language, you think, wow, I mean, it's, it sounds apocalyptic, it sounds like the end of the world. I don't think that we truly understand what happens when Jesus Christ comes to the cross. We have the tendency to just put it in one, kind of one Friday, right? Six hours, one Friday. But God himself has come to redeem the earth, to take back and restore what was stolen from it. Through his blood shed on the cross is the hope of the world and the certainty of its resurrection, of its redemption. That's why there are earthquakes when Christ dies and this eclipse. Would there not be more convulsions that would occur over the next decades as there is a spiritual change of power, as Satan is thrown down and the gates are open so that the gospel can go out into the world, there's going to be a time of change. There's a natural response. And what Jesus is saying ultimately is that this temple must go. Think about it a little bit. If God gives His Son so that his blood shed on the cross would be the way that people could be redeemed for the sacrifices to continue in the temple, would that not be an offense to God? That anything would try to rival or compare. No, the temple must go. And indeed it will go in 70 AD, though the disciples do not realize that. And so Jesus is preparing them there's going to be great instability. There's going to be great uncertainty. Before this temple falls, there's going to be this this uprising, if you will, and you need to know that, and you need to be prepared, and you need to not panic. Because faith and panic are ultimately opposed to one another, aren't they? The time is at hand. Anybody remember the Y2K Period of time. Anybody stay up New Year's Day, Y2K? I stayed up to see sort of the sun rise on Tonga or whatever. Tonga was standing. I was like, oh, everything's fine. I'm going to bed. If you remember that experience, that uncertainty among the world, didn't the comments start to come out? The end is at hand. The world is coming to an end. You see an uncertainty. What happens is that people come forth saying, I am the Christ. I have the answer. Or the world is at hand. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is going to happen. But A, you don't panic because you have a greater foundation to stand on than this. In all its magnificence, in all of its beauty, in all of its solidity, it's nothing. It will pass away. But I, in my words, will never pass away. Everybody, at least in America, remembers the numbers 9-11, don't they? It's another one of those great questions. Where were you when the buildings fell? Just about all of us can remember specifically where we were. It felt in some ways like the end of the world. If you were in New York City, by the way, it definitely did. I don't know if we have the first slide here of this picture cataclysmic can you imagine walking down Manhattan you're on your lunch break and you see that go and show the next slide we saw the pictures as the smoke plumed and billowed all the way out of people running our world in some ways has never been the same has it if you were a child around around that time your life will be characterized by that particular instance in your life But in some ways, 9-11 is nothing like this because it was sudden. There was no build-up to it, right? It just happened. But imagine if there was a siege of America before these buildings fell. The war drums were heard outside of the borders and the armies were amassed and the food supply was cut off. We haven't yet experienced something like that. But that's what the disciples are going to experience. That's what their world is going to experience. Jesus says something very interesting. Before this happens, verse 12, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Indeed, parents and brothers and relatives and friends will deliver you up and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Before the end of this world, disciples, Jerusalem, I'm talking 70, 80, not the world, you will feel perhaps the end of your world coming. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, this is your opportunity to bear witness. Now I don't, know that, I don't normally think of that. Do you as your opportunity when the end of your world might be coming? But Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching us. If your foundation is unshakable, danger becomes opportunity. He's saying don't be afraid because I will be with you. When you are thrown into prison, I will not leave you or forsake you. When your world is crashing around you, when everything you know and hell dear is taken away from you, your watch, your journals, your parents, everything, do not fear. Indeed, settle in your mind not to worry about what you're going to say because I will be with you and I will give you words that you will speak against your adversaries, which none will be able to withstand or contradict. But not a hair of your head will perish. Now, I did a double take when I read this because did it not say, just a couple verses before, that some of you they will put to death? Now, how can some of us be put to death and yet not a hair on our head perish? Unless, of course that life is further than simply this life and that peace can be found in perishing see what God's saying is you don't get it you think that something as solid as the temple will be a foundation that can give you life that that you can withstand anything but he's saying that I am immortality and that on me you will stand and even though you perish you will not perish You can have peace here because you know there is life there. What does all of this have to do with us? For some of us, life is more uncertain in the United States of America than maybe it's ever been. You may have that feeling depending on which side of the political aisle you're on. You probably have that feeling on either side of the political aisle. Our wonderful republic has hairline fractures in it. But we're a special subset of America. If you are a Christian, an American Christian, there's a danger of standing on two foundations. Make no mistake about it, I love my country. But I don't put my hope in it or put my trust in it. What happens if America falls tomorrow? And most likely if it falls, it'll fall from within. Just let's play the game a little bit, okay? No, that only happens in Venezuela and other places. My friends, be a student of history. What happens if it falls? My foundation is on my country, I will fall too. But if my foundation is on a different kingdom, an inheritance and citizenship that I have, I will not be shaken. Indeed, I can see opportunity in the middle of it. And so Jesus is giving a warning to the disciples and I'm giving a warning to you. Pick your foundation before one falls and start building on it. The time that you spend, we're all building something, aren't we? The hope in which you put your heart. The future that is to come. Look for the opportunities to witness for that kingdom in the midst of being in this one. Well, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about what to say. When you stand and witness for Christ, He'll tell you what to say. I hear the stories of these martyrs falling for Christ, and yet the tremendous peace they have as they're tied to the stake. I thought, I'll never have that peace. You know what? I'll never have that peace right now because I don't need it. But God will give us the courage. God will give us whatever we need at that time to stand and glorify Him. What we need to do is make a decision to stand on Him now. Jesus says something interesting in verse 20. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. He's talking about 70 A.D. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And whoever's in the country don't come in. These are the days of vengeance. And it goes on and on. There's going to be great distress. And uh, people will fall by the edge of the sword and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. If you know anything about the siege of Jerusalem, of Israel, uh, it took four years. You can imagine trying to break into a place like the temple of Israel, right? And the, the, uh, there was so much anger from the Romans that by the time they finally managed to build their siege engines and get into this place, their savagery was unrivaled. They killed 1.1 million people. They could not be stopped. But who is he talking about? He's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about those disciples. But the point is there is a time to be safe. There is a time for strategic retreat. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. God will give us the wisdom to know the difference. Sometimes I beat my head against the door, doing something, doing something, doing something. When God is saying, go here. See, it was really that, that caused the spread of the gospel. This time of the Gentiles fulfilled, what exactly does it mean? I'm not exactly sure. Aside from knowing that what Jesus is saying is that this raising of Jerusalem is not forever. It's not going to happen forever. I want to close with uh, the rest of this passage because it's extremely difficult and I'm the one who's supposed to come up with the answers, right? I appreciate the Westminster Confession of Faith that says all things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things that are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation, are clearly propounded. This is one of those areas where some people are going to differ in my interpretation. When is he talking about here in verses 25 through 28? My opinion is he's talking still about the destruction of Jerusalem, not the end of the world. It says there will be signs in sun and moon and stars on the earth and distress of the nations, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now with these things, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head. Carlos, how can you say that's just about Jerusalem? Here are just a couple of reasons. Verse 32, he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Frankly, if I I had led this entire sermon with just that verse and then talked about it, we would go, Oh, he must be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Secondly, he refers to himself in this passage as the son of man. Jesus really is the only one that uses that term. I think one other time to describe himself. The son of man. Where does that term come from? Comes from Daniel 7. Where the son of man. Comes before the ancients of days. God. And is given an everlasting kingdom. That will never fail or fade. Now let me ask you the question. When is Jesus given the everlasting kingdom? Did he not say at the end in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me? See, in Daniel 7, when he's given the uh, the everlasting kingdom, the world does not end. But he is in charge and begins to systematically put his enemies under his feet. And that's exactly what has been going on. The gospel is going forth the son of man is in charge even though you say to yourself i can't see it look harder the king aslan is on the move and just because there's apocalyptic language here doesn't mean it's speaking of the end of the earth end of time if you read ezekiel and you read daniel and you read isaiah you hear the prophet prophesying using this extreme vivid language Speaking about contemporary events. Speaking about kingdoms that are to fall in the centuries that are to come. Indeed, even in the book of Daniel right afterwards. I want to suggest that Jesus is doing the exact same thing. Because if you were in 9-11 in Manhattan, it sure would look like the end of the world there, wouldn't it? And if you were in Jerusalem at its destruction, it sure would look like the end of the world. But God is passing judgment. Two other reasons. If you look at these verses, particularly 28, 31, and 36, you hear God continuing to use the word you. And I want to suggest to you that the you that Jesus is using is not you. He's talking to the disciples. We must read the text in its context. But wait a second. What about Matthew and Mark and these other Um, uh, contemporary, parallel passages. If you read Matthew and Mark, you'll discover something. They keep talking because the disciples ask a longer question. The disciples say, tell us when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? It's not the question that Luke puts in his booklet uh, in his gospel because Luke isn't interested in answering that second point his focus is different why is Luke's focus different? because Luke is intimately concerned with his Gentile friend Theophilus coming to know Christ all the gospels have different focuses don't they? Theophilus, there's some people where the numbers 9 11 don't have any significance whatsoever. And if you are not in Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple isn't going to mean a whole lot. Matthew and Mark are focused on these questions because of their audience. But Luke doesn't continue to go there because he's interested in Theophilus hearing the gospel. And what does all that have to do to us aside from a very interesting academic discussion? I want us to shift our focus from the how of the second coming to the fact of the second coming. Because in the end, the warning and admonition that Jesus gives to the disciples is to us as well. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation And drunkenness and the cares of this life, for that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. But stay awake at all times. See, the lesson to be learned here is this if God passes judgment like this against one city that does not repent, what will that judgment look like when it comes upon the earth? our Savior is reigning on the throne. Choose your foundation. We're all witnessing for someone or something. The uncertainty of this country is our opportunity to proclaim the certainty of Jesus Christ. We need not fear whatever comes to pass. For our foundation is sure The days of redemption are drawing near. So keep your eyes not fixed on what is around us so that we panic, but fixed on the Son of Man who is to come at His final day. And as you see these signs more and more lift up your head, for your redemption draws near. Praise be to God. Our foundation is greater than 20 stories. And 500 ton stones, and more beautiful than all the marble and the gold and the bronze in the world. Christ has lifted us up on the rock, given us a sure place to stand, and put a new song in our mouth. Let us sing it while we can. Let's pray. God, it's so easy our hearts to be weighed down with the dissipation and cares of this life and to be alarmed at every tremor that we feel in our country lord you've called us to more than that you've given us a sure foundation and you've given us words to speak and a duty to undertake to witness to you let us keep our eyes fixed on things above not on earthly things but let us live our heavenly life in this earthly world for your glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.